We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. Wanted to jump in quickly and let you know about the release of the audio version of my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, narrated by David A. Knesser. If you want to support the show, you can buy it wherever audiobooks are sold. Links are also in the show notes. Now, on to my guest for today, Aman Argawal. The world took notice of Aman when he started publishing blog posts explaining technology to non-techies. People liked the way he easily broke down complex topics into understandable forms. He's an engineer who now teaches tech to executives through his company, Sandpram to help them better understand what's going on in their own companies, and to encourage them to find better ways to manage and scale their business. Aman's explanation of how he breaks down and teaches his content illustrates the effectiveness of his approach. From starting out at a bird's eye overview to building up knowledge using the I plus one approach, Aman's process can be useful for anyone looking to understand or teach a complex system or method. And the process is key for Iman. He comes to see that ultimately, if you don't enjoy the process, then what's the point? Now, let's get better together. Aman Agawal, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I appreciate you being on the show. 
uh, you have a pretty uh, kind of unique thing that you're trying to do. Uh, and we'll get it all into that a little later. Uh, and you're also a judo player, so of course we got to talk about combat sports. Um, but before we do that, as I always like to say, why don't you tell me how you got to do what you're doing today? So what I'm doing today is uh, I run an executive education company uh, that helps non-technical executives and entrepreneurs be more technical, be more technically fluent. And the journey started out back when I was in college. This was in 2011, 2012. And uh, I was in engineering school and constantly dissatisfied with how engineering was taught. Um, and this is a global phenomenon everywhere you go. Um, and so right out of, out of school, uh, after a few months doing sales, I joined an education company called Udacity. Um, and uh, I always, that's what, that first get, got me into technology in the first place, into technical education. And uh, then I realized that I enjoyed teaching and writing. Okay, So I started writing these really long essays on Medium, explaining really complex technical topics like self-driving cars, you know, AlphaGo and all these things in really dumb, simple English so that anyone could understand the details of how they worked. Okay? Yeah, I like to say Sesame and, Street simple. <laughs> yeah. And to my surprise, uh, something that I was writing as a hobby got picked up in the news and uh, got read by people all over the world. And, uh, you know, I was invited to give talks in at many universities, organizations and whatnot. And people kept telling me that I have a real rare world-class talent for this, uh, much to my surprise, to take <laughs> complex tech and just explain it to dumb people. Because I always thought of myself as a dumb person. You know, I was like, okay, I got to understand this, how this works. So let me dumb it down. Um, and so one thing led to another. I later became an engineer in Silicon Valley working on self-driving trucks at a company called Starsky Robotics. Um, and then I, you know, did some more sales engineering stuff. And one thing that stood out to me when I was in Silicon Valley is that there's a huge communication gap between techies and non-techies, quote unquote, non-techies, right? Um, it's almost, it's almost comical sometimes <laughs> because yes, yes you'll talk is. to engineers, you talk to engineers and they'll say, oh, the salespeople are dumb, all right? And you talk to the salespeople and they'll say the engineer is dumb. You can't let them run the sales call. You got to control the sales process and everything. So it's not only a communication gap, it's also a cultural gap. <laughs> Huge cultural gap. Oh, we can talk about that not only in sales, but in management of tech companies. The whole mm -hmm. other ball of wax. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And so I realized that why is there such a gap when and why is why do most non-technical people don't believe that they can be, they can ever be technical, right? And the reason is that I saw that there's a lot of bad advice out in the industry these days. There are one million and one like coding boot camps and mm -hmm. coding classes and online courses and tutorials and whatnot. And there's a huge narrative about, oh, learn to code and you'll be technical. Right. And 
I'll be the first person to say as a as an engineer myself, learning to code does not make you technically fluent unless you spend two years, three years doing it with some dedication, right? Yeah. You take any software, any computer science kid in, you know, in college and ask him like, oh, can you can you build me an MVP of Facebook or Tinder or something like that? And... Okay, and by the way, I want this to scale to 5 million users within the next three months. And find me a computer science graduate, freshly minted, who can solve that for you. So <laughs> it's not about Zero. learning to code. Yeah, great, agreed, agreed. No, it's totally, I totally understand. I mean, I, I usually say that to my clients that are mostly technical companies. I say, if you can't explain it to your grandmother, then you don't understand <laughs> it. You know, they get a little upset. Uh, because of course they're, you know, well, mm -hmm. it's just complicated. And anytime anyone says it's complicated to me says they don't understand it because the most important thing is to be able to explain anything of any complexity mm -hmm. to anyone. Mm -hmm. That's your job. That's the sales people, why they're all get nervous about allowing engineers in the room <laughs> because <laughs> I mean, what's an engineer going to do, right? Engineer is problem focused. If there's not a problem or a crisis, an engineer is not happy. So what are they going to say? They are going to tell you everything that could go wrong, every problem, every single wart. It doesn't matter that the rest of the world's great. All they focus on is the negative. And of course, I'm paraphrasing. And, you know, of course, there's a broad brush of engineers. But generally, the population of engineers and scientists job is to solve problems. If there's no problem, therefore, no job. <laughs> right. So and. And they solve it with engineering. It's like the only tool. Yeah. Have you yeah. seen that that TED talk by I think Rory Sutherland, the guy from Ogilvy, Britain? He said so. He's a marketing. He's an advertising guy, and he says um, that not every problem is an engineering problem. You know. So they can. He said that the the the, the king of Prussia back then had to uh, had to get all the people of the country to start eating potatoes, which were like a disgusting crop back then. And he tried to crossbreed them and stuff and all kinds of stuff. And it didn't work. Okay, People were like, this is disgusting. I'm not going to feed my dog, uh, let alone eat it myself. And so he turned to a marketing solution. He said, okay, I'm going to declare potatoes a royal crop and only members of the nobility are allowed to have it. Okay. And all the fields will be guarded and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And soon enough, there was a huge underground industry of people just stealing and making potatoes yeah. just because they couldn't have them legally. Yep, yep, yep right. Yep. Yeah. And then, of course, they invented vodka. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Another good use for potatoes, apparently. So. <laughs> yeah. Cool. cool. So yeah, that's what I'm doing. All right. So. Um, so, so sort of form this education company based on your experience, lots of, I mean, clearly a huge need. <laughs> I could go on and on about how Silicon Valley, it does a very poor job of explaining technology to, you know, normal people, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. And I can also go on and on about the sales process and how every engineer is wrong, that salespeople are not intelligent or quote unquote yeah. stupid. Uh, because yep. like if you can build the best thing in the world and if no one buys it, is it really the best thing in the world? Probably not. Just to be honest, like <laughs> what are you in the game for? If you just want to build stuff to build stuff, then go ahead, be an artist, right? Yeah. 
don't tell me it's so complicated that, you know, the dumb sales guy, quote unquote, or sales gal can't understand it. If again, you can't explain it to someone, you don't understand it. That's your, that's on you. That's on you. That's why I always tell them, explain it to your grandmother. Like if your grandmother can understand it, then you're on, you're on the path to success. And, you know, Richard, Richard Feynman, is it Feynman, Feynman or Feynman? Yeah. yeah I always yep. mess his name yeah, up. Whatever. You know, the, <laughs> the best physicist teacher on the planet, right? Um, you know, his five easy pieces of physics is easy, quantum physics, easy for anyone to understand, right? You just got to spend the time. Of course, it's tough and it's a different issue. You know, like you got to like expand your mind a little bit, but he explained stuff that anyone could understand. He, he was also really good at picking locks. <laughs> so he would pick <laughs> locks at Los Alamos. And <laughs> I mean, pretty much a character. And, and I think the best yeah. treatise on how to explain a complex problem and how really if, if someone says put you in charge of figuring out a problem is he wrote a report about the, the, the challenger. Oh yeah. The O-ring. The O-ring. Yep. And it's yep. a 15 amazing. page amendment or appendix to the main report. And those 15 or 20 pages or whatever it is, one, they're brilliantly written. Like he just had a, such a command of the English language <laughs> and of explaining things. And two, it is the absolute perfect way to explain the hubris of management in a technical organization. And anytime anyone like, you know, wants to roll out, oh, it's complicated and everything. And or they don't, you can tell they, they're, it's a political thing. I just read that and be like, we're, we're pulling an O-ring. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh yeah, man. Yeah. Like you, there was literally a study about research papers and how even Nature Magazine showed clearly that research papers are objectively getting harder to read. Yeah. You read you read the original like papers published by Albert Einstein yeah. and you read the language like the way he wrote. Yeah. It's like you're talking to a friend in yeah. a research paper. Yeah. Uh, and it's just gone downhill I, I don't know into or, straight into the pothole since then. Yeah, it's so yeah. Yeah, it's, whatever. It's gone up it's gone up in, <laughs> yeah. you know. I, I always say that um and, and people get upset about this, and I don't understand why. It's mm. like you have to write for the eighth grade level. No mm. matter what you write, an eighth grader should be able to read it. And people get so bent about this. Oh, well, but what I'm trying to explain is so complicated. There's all these scientific mm. terms. I mean, just on infinitum. <laughs> and and I really, it annoys me because that's just an excuse to not walk through the process like like you i like to write mm. so my thought process is i always write it down right write it down yep. explain it get it out of my head um, but more importantly if you can excuse me if you can write at the eighth grade level a complex topic you not only understand it but explaining it makes you understand it even more so i'm mm. curious when you do like teach executives about uh you know, complex technology and, you know, writing all this stuff down. Does it improve your understanding, how you teach it? H how does that process work? Because again, more people need to do this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like I've, so I was never a DevOps guy. Okay. I just, I'd, I'd heard a few terms like Docker, Kubernetes and stuff, mm -hmm. and I never knew the intricacies of how they worked. But when I had to teach um, executives about how these things work, I had to put that in the context of what they had learned before. So I had taught them like how the overall high level system works 
and okay, this is how systems scale and whatnot. And so the key challenge for me, so the key challenge and the key opportunity for me is to come up with a narrative, come up with a story of how what I'm teaching them now fits in perfectly logically with everything they've learned before in the course. And that is, I would say it's it's not a it's not an uncommon skill because I actually picked it up when I studied filmmaking. Oh. And you would be surprised if I am a teacher today, if and so if I'm a good teacher today, and I believe objectively that I've I'm a world class teacher, mm-hmm. most of the ideas I've taken I've borrowed are from two disciplines. One is filmmaking. And the other is how people teach, uh, how people learn languages, foreign languages, because mm-hmm. I'm an enthusiast about that. Wow. Filmmakers are, they ha- they've turned it down, they've turned it into almost a science. Yeah. How do you tell a story that holds the audience in your fist and you can carry them throughout the whole um, narrative right. towards the end and take them, guide them to the exact same conclusion that you want to guide them to? Yeah. And so there's a lot of uh, filmmaking methodologies, filmmaking protocols that I use when I st- while structuring the course. Hmm. Interesting. So, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm big into story structure, and I would venture to say I'm a story nerd <laughs> to a certain degree. <laughs> um, and I have, I mean, a long time ago, me and a bunch of buddies did this uh, 48 hour film festival where you make a film in 48 hours and you know, oh, wow. it was pretty fun. What kind of film was it? <laughs> oh, it's like a five minute film. It's just really silly. Uh, but the process, that's actually a really good point. I didn't think of it that way. Cause the process of making a film, uh, I wouldn't say you have to go to the lowest common denominator, so to speak, but you do have to have a flow and you, you have to take the, take the audience to a, a necessary conclusion. And sometimes a, uh, an, uh, uh, you know, an obvious but inevitable or, you know, a twist or whatever. But, but you always want to lead them to the right thing. And mm-hmm. I guess, yeah, as, as an educational tool, leading them down the journey, the student down the journey of, okay, this is where you need to be. I want you to end here. I want as many people as possible to come up with that same conclusion or end in the same spot. Huh. And so, so as part of this process, do you storyboard your content? I mean, how, how do you mechanically get through that? Absolutely. So I, I start with, as it, like, it's perfectly a storyboard. Hmm. I start with, okay, where is the, so I assume a, a starting point where the, the audience has absolutely, the, I'm saying audience, but the student has absolutely no idea about technology, all right? And then the job is you have to first feed them information in a way that they can, that is always I plus one. So I plus one is a concept called comprehensible input, uh, which is borrowed from how people naturally learn languages, Mm -hmm. Um, like babies, how babies learn languages, right? I plus one basically means if you know 10 words and and you look at a text, um, like a page of text, if it has any more than those 10 words, like within your vocabulary, uh, you can go up to 11 and still make sense of it. But if you get to 12 words where, uh, where like 
out of every uh, where you read 10 words and then two words are out of your vocabulary, you won't understand it. Hmm. And if you keep it at 11, you will exponentially learn one word on every page. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like one new word is easily digestible and you can put it into context. So it keeps you just enough of a, it keeps you challenged just enough without being overwhelming. Hmm. And so you, that's when you learn the, that's your sweet spot when you learn the quickest naturally. And so keeping that in mind, you have to, while teaching, I create a storyboard. Okay. Like this is where they are. This is the first, uh, a lesson so to speak they learn this and then i'm gonna give them exercises push them to i plus one and then that becomes their i mm. and then the next lesson takes them to the new i plus one mm. and then the new i plus one and the new i plus one and it's surprising how with small marginal um expansion of their technical vocabulary of their technical framework in their in their brain they learned so quickly that within just two months, you can put them in front of a developer doing a system design brainstorm on a whiteboard wow. and they will kill it. Wow. They will speak technically. They can read a blog post written by an engineer for other engineers hmm. about how, about some philosophy about no SQL versus SQL and, uh, you know, some esoteric stuff. Right. And they can figure out, oh yeah, this is what, I, what he's trying to say. This is what the whole gist is. It's pretty surprising. So how do you determine I then? What's sort of the baseline? Like that baseline must be really important to get first, <laughs> get right, you know? Yeah, yep, yep. So the baseline is uh, this one. The first lesson is assumed uh, that, so I assume that the first lesson that I have, which is actually a free lesson. I have it in an essay format on Medium, in fact. Uh, that is for to take anyone from zero complete zero uh, to the level that I assume at the beginning of the course. And after they read that first lesson, I give them a quiz, which I grade one-on-one and I uh, sit with them one-on-one in in a video call. And I look at every single answer they gave for that quiz Mm -hmm. and discuss it with them to make sure that they are at I, they are at I. And then, and then it's very easy to just, you know, guide them to the film, guide them to the story. So this, this I plus one, um, so, so does that mean, and I guess just, I want to know mechanically yep. how this works. So does that mean mm-hmm. like each lesson's one new concept or yep, each part absolutely. of the lesson or after each quiz? So you can kind of gauge like, how does it all come together? So, you know, if, if you're, you know, you're teaching, let's say you're teaching a non-technical CEO about technology mm-hmm. so that they can, you know, yep. get in front of the whiteboard and talk intelligently. Right. And yep. you just said it takes about two months to do that. Mm-hmm. Like how, how does it break down? Like, I mean, is it one oh, lesson right, a day? Right. I mean, again, I know this is, gets a little in the weeds, but I'm just so curious on how, mm-hmm. how you build yep. these things up because uh, I do uh, try to educate young entrepreneurs mm-hmm. about you know, being an entrepreneur and I'm always fascinated on the best way to do that. Yep. So, yeah, absolutely. So, so let me give you the whole, uh, you know, um, course, like how I, how this course is structured and how it works. Right. So the first week, so for the first two weeks, I make them only design systems at the highest level. Okay. 
they look at 10 to 12 different software companies like okay facebook or taskrabbit or airbnb uber netflix they look at very diverse technical products mm-hmm. and we look at the high level okay so how would you design the system what are the different components all right so we're playing really high level here uh, and after the first lesson they understand okay that you have a back end you have a front end you have data coming from here and there and these are all the things that you need to build for something like airbnb or uber or netflix to work okay at the very high level right and so simply by looking at 15 20 case studies uh, they already have a high level executive you know understanding of okay if you give them a new idea like hey i want to build an app to help people find their dogs using <laughs> a peer to peer network in my neighborhood okay something something crazy mm-hmm. After, after you see 20 different technical products, you can tell, okay, in this kind of an application, what are the different moving parts? What mm-hmm. goes on in the back end? What goes on in the front end? How do I distribute the different tasks, uh, the different functions, um, and so forth at a very high level, right? So this is, so I get them really, so I get them, them to a stage where this is second nature to them, where they can talk about how any large-scale design, large-scale system is designed. Then I teach them a little about machine learning. I teach them the basics of machine learning and how, and again, at a high level, different, uh, you know, systems that use machine learning in today's world, like the Netflix recommendation engine and so forth. So uh, that is the first module, which is very high level, but they already have, they already feel technically fluent at some level, right? The next module is about understanding the full stack. Hmm. Uh, what is the backend? What is the frontend? What are programming frameworks? What are programming languages? What is the like? How do you choose different programming frameworks? Um, and this is this is does not involve any coding. Like hmm. there's no programming involved. You don't need programming to understand. You know no. how this stuff oh, works. No, I agree. I totally. Agree. Um, you I teach them how what a database is, the story of what a relational database is, and why it makes sense. And when it doesn't make sense, and so that's where I introduce NoSQL databases, um, and so they understand. Okay, the back end, the front end. They they look at more case studies. Right. They look at you know why Apple uh, launched their own programming languages. So they they read a lot of articles throughout this journey, which are news articles or to, or you know some thought leader said something about something happening in industry. And I make them read that and then discuss that topic in detail. Uh, how do like can they make sense of what's going on? Uh, giving them real world exposure to the kind of stuff that technical people read, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so and then I introduce to them. Okay, how, okay. So now you understand how. Like now you understand what the front end is, what the back end is, and what the database is. Now we talk about scaling. So I teach them the concepts of scaling how do you scale a system and a lot of it is analogous to how you scale any business even a non-technical business like how do you scale a food business if you're selling cookies out of your mom's kitchen how do you scale that to a national operation right it's the same it's kind of the same concept that's why i'm curious on how you go through it because the Mm. uh comparisons or the analogies or the similarities to scaling a company Mm -hmm. i mean same it's same problem it's just different inputs and outputs and a different 
you're playing with different quote unquote code. That's why I'm curious on, cause, cause I think there's a great, like a great metaphor and a great framework again, system to learn, okay, how am I going to explain my company? If you take the same approach that mm. you have to teach your customers, potential customers mm-hmm. and current customers, what you do in this whole I plus one framework, which I, I think is actually, I've never heard of before. Um, but pretty cool. I mean, I mean, I don't, again, that's why I talk to smart people, you <laughs> know, like, Oh, wow, cool. One more thing I can be smart on. I plus one. Um, but I think this is really important. And, and this is where, again, the technical Silicon Valley fails. Mm-hmm. They don't understand what, where people are with I first, like, yeah. Okay. If, if you, if your eye, however big it is, and then you need to kind of take them on the journey of what your product does, this whole model of, okay, where are they? Add another concept, add another concept, confirm, confirm, right? Because the, 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 the most frustrating thing for anyone technical, yeah. for anyone that's built anything, mm-hmm. is that no one wants to use it. <laughs> <laughs> and yep. partly it's because no one understands what it's good for or it doesn't solve a problem or this new thing mm. I'm really into is what's the job to be done and I you see. haven't done the job. And I don't remember who said that. I'll put a link in the show notes, but I mean, I'm really fascinated by this because I think your whole mentality of how do I teach like an executive technology is the same framework, same system, how an entrepreneur can teach customers about their technical product in a way that makes sense, right? Clear, concise, compelling, you know, and, oh, I need this and, and, and have them get there faster than just throwing a bunch of ads and, you know, you know, crossing your fingers yeah. <laughs> because, well, I mean, yep. again, the story matters, right? And yep. you actually want to be respectful of someone's time to the point where if it's not for them, eject them. I mean, like, hey, it's not for you. Cool. <laughs> Move on. Mm-hmm. People waste a lot of time on that, right? Um, mm-hmm. yep. So I'm curious, you know, so appreciate you explaining the framework. And again, I like the idea. Um, how how many how has it been with these executives once you've trained them and, and how are you using that sort of model to kind of build up this you know your your business and you know how 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 does that how does that scale <laughs> how do you scale <laughs> <laughs> so so the first part of your question which is like how does that actually work uh, how does these executives uh, how do I make sure that they're always you know learning and uh, growing is that I think the, the secret sauce uh, that is not so secret, it's just that, that I, f- I forgot to mention so far, is that since these people are usually experts in business, if you can draw a parallel at every point from something they already know mm. and use that as a concrete analogy for what I'm going to teach them next, uh, that is incredibly powerful. Mm. Interesting, yeah. So it turns a very unfamiliar concept into something very familiar because it's rooted in very, for them, very common sense principles. Now, if I was teaching eighth graders the same course, they would probably uh, drop out after like two lessons, right? Because they have no business understanding. Uh, maybe someday I'll make a course for eighth graders. But I would be great. So far, it's because <laughs> they would really love that. I think. I mean, I, I teach. Yeah. I teach. Uh, middle schoolers entrepreneurship and mm. they pick it up pretty quick 
Yep. And I think it's, I think it just depends on how you approach it. Cause I mean, you know, yep. dig, they're digitally native now, right? Like yeah. they, they know, sometimes they know more than their parents about stuff. So, <laughs> Maybe, so yeah, uh, I mean, it's just about, you know, all this, you always have to anchor the student in a comfortable place. And that, that is the essence of what I plus one means. I plus one means that I is their comfort zone. Um, and to me, since they have a significant business background, that always helps to uh, make it easier to take them to I plus one and I plus one and I plus one. Um, and actually, one of the big, one of the major exercises that I make them do is to take a business or and especially their own business and look at all the different moving parts of their business from a non-technical standpoint. And then use the context of technology to see, okay, what can be automated and which automation or which or scaling which part brings the most value to their business, all right? Hmm. And this is, again, non-technical. If, if, if you could, maybe it's not politically correct to say that, if you could, you know, hire, like, I was going to use the word slaves, but, you know, robots, like if you were like in in like 3000 BC and you had like a bunch of people to do a task for next to f- no money right, right. Um, and you could hire 100,000 of them, how would that change your business? Hmm. Uh, that's one of the, that's one of the things, of course, that's not all, like that's not the only thing that technology does, but I use examples like these to set the the context, set the the foundation for what's come, right. what I'm, what I'm going to introduce to them next. No, Does no, that make sense? I mean it's yeah, no, it does. I mean, I I like that whole, you know, maybe that's not the right word uh, that you use, yeah. but but I, I see what you mean because it's like the extreme. It's like, well, if labor costs went to zero, what would happen? Yep. Oh, yep. But you still can't scale, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? <laughs> because oh, <laughs> I, I can't hire enough people. How am I going to get a billion people? Right? To oh, yep. maybe yep. I need a machine, or maybe I need to change the process, <laughs> or. You know, interesting. Okay, yeah. I mean, I'm again. I'm I'm fascinated by by the process. And so, how how I'm, we're going to go totally off the rails a little bit. <laughs> so, how does jujitsu play into all this? I mean, you're a jujitsu player, martial artist, like I am. How has the how has that kind of formulated um, how you teach? Because I do know it's hard to learn judo, like it's hard to learn jujitsu, and the practice and the repetition and I don't know if this. I don't know if the I plus one methodology will work, but but how how has having the discipline of being a martial artist helped with this? Hmm. I think it has definitely. Um, so I think martial arts was is one of the foundations of uh, my personal journey that happened to make me a better entrepreneur hmm. and not 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 a teacher i think uh i think that has a very the, the the relation between judo and teaching is so indirect that it pretty much may not exist um, but i think being an entrepreneur itself like it's uh, i dedicate a lot of uh, my current mental mental status whatever you call it mindset to what i do all the those months and years um uh, struggling on the mat and getting my ass kicked <laughs> uh, and i think and i think the the big thing that i understood uh after you know 
because judo is i think one of the most frustrating martial arts to learn uh, more so than jiu-jitsu because i tried jiu-jitsu really uh, for a while oh no i think and the thing with judo frustrating is too. <laughs> yeah the thing with judo is that the thing that makes judo work takes 5 years to learn even the the very basics you can after like 3 weeks of learning you can learn okay how do i escape a mount mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. you can do something at the most basic level to a novice okay like i escape mount but in judo when you're standing up and you need to catch them at just the right moment mm-hmm. so that it so that you're not using your strength you're just using you know physics to throw them that mind uh, muscle memory um even on even if you're up against a novice it takes a lot of you know just repetition 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 to train yeah that's a good point uh which makes it very frustrating yeah <laughs> um yeah i've i've it's funny because uh sometimes we get some judo you know judo players in the in the mm-hmm. jujitsu uh and you know you can tell cuz for those of you that don't know most jujitsu when we spar and when we roll, we call roll, we start on our knees. We never start standing up. Very rarely do we start standing up. <laughs> Whereas judo is all about starting standing up. So anytime yep. I start standing up with someone that actually knows judo, <laughs> it never ends well for me, even if I'm 50 pounds bigger than they are. That's how powerful it is. So, okay, I, I give, give you, I'll give you that it's a little more complicated. And, and so, so what, what, what rank are you in judo? So I I stayed at the white belt actually because I kept moving from dojo to jo- to dojo. Uh-huh. Um so I have no idea what belt I am mm-hmm. to be honest with you. <laughs> I'll have to go back to a dojo in like maybe next year or so yeah. to find out where I am now. Right. Um and even there they probably just going to be leave me at white belt like oh, yeah sure like you know who cares in a dojo in a dojo like nobody cares you're either black or you're not. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I mean it's interesting you know cuz um Jiu-jitsu has its roots in judo, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or yep. it's it's a complicated thing, but there was yeah. <laughs> a thing called jiu-jitsu in Japan and judo and it split and then it went to Brazil and became Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Anyway, mm-hmm. it's a whole mess, but but yeah. the but you can see a lot of the like when you were talking about throws and arm bars and stuff when I was reading your little bio, we use the same terms. It's just we don't practice literally throwing people. I I think it's probably like 10% of the things we work on. The rest of it's <laughs> how do you escape mount? How do you do an arm bar? How do you do, mm-hmm. you know, a leg lock or whatever? So, okay. So, so you think that, that the, the practice of judo and sort of the martial arts um, really prepare you more to be an entrepreneur? Yeah. It, I think the, the biggest thing was, you know, uh, I think what forms my philosophy for now everything in life, which I, which started from martial arts is, process over progress over perfection because in the beginning i was very impatient i was like i want to get to yellow and then green and then blue and then black brown and then black as soon as possible and then once reality hit like okay it's gonna take a long time then it was about why am i not better than last week why am i not better than last month um and so i got instead of so once i gave up perfection I fell into the trap of progress. Like, okay, I need progress or something is wrong. It sucks if I'm not improving. Mm. Um, you know, why am I not able to beat this this white belt for three months in a row? Mm-hmm. Um, and so then that's when I realized that it's what's in your control 
is only the process. So process means the daily reps, the weekly, the stuff that you need to do. And this is something I learned from um, Rod from Alex Rodriguez. Mm. Um, he he talked about the fact. So he's uh, one of the most illustrious baseball uh, you know batsmen in history, and he said that he has five five world records, mm. but the thing that he's most proud of in his entire career is that in 20 years, he never missed a pregame practice session. Wow. Okay. That's his proudest achievement. And he said that everything else is just a uh, byproduct of just following that process, showing up to that practice session, which is in his complete control. Mm-hmm. And then whatever happens on, you know, because he's also like, I think, number five in most strikeouts, um, something like that. <laughs> yeah, probably um, behind Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth struck out notoriously <laughs> a lot, but he also hit a ton of home runs. So. Yeah, so so it's, it's all about the process now. Like, I've found, like, now I choose projects on the basis of, okay, am I going to enjoy working this, working on this every day or every week, every month for an indefinite amount amount of time? or let's say three years or four years or five years. And if I'm not enjoying the process, if I think the process is like, uh, I'm not, I don't want it. The progress sounds good, but uh, the process is like not to my taste. Then I just don't do it. And that has made, made me uh, much happier hmm. uh, as well as, you know, much more patient and I can make more long-term decisions because, uh, once you detach yourself, and I and I could go into the whole woo woo, st- you know, spiritual <laughs> philosophy stuff about detaching and letting go and all that stuff. Yeah. We could go into that maybe, uh, but it's about for me, it's just about being hyper realistic, mm-hmm. which means and being hyper cynical. And I think cynical is it, it, the word has a ne- negative connotation, but yeah. I don't like to see it that way. I think it's just about facing reality. And mm-hmm. facing reality, you can only control the process. And if you attach your happiness to the progress, which is not in your complete control, because, um, you know, you can't physically like just command your body into linearly improving or your skill to linearly improve on a day-to-day basis, um, you're re- living much more in line with reality. Hmm. That That's how I perceive it. Hmm. So, so more, okay. Because, I mean, what, what's really super interesting, um, you know, I, I follow and occasionally listen to Scott Adams podcast. He's a, you know, the Dilbert guy, right? The, yep, yep. Uh, and he's got this wide array of things he's interested in, of course. And um, he's always about process as opposed to mm. goals. And he's always about building talent. And I really love his talent stack or skill stack idea, because I agree. You only are in charge of the process. Mm-hmm. Now, of course you want the outcome to be beneficial, but you can never guarantee the outcome. Just full stop. Can't you can yep. have the effort towards that? You can create opportunity to get into maybe having the outcome, but the outcome is never assured. But the process and the effort you put into the potential outcome, hundred percent in your control. And I really like that philosophy, and I do think it's a bit meta meta, <laughs> you know, woo woo. But I mean, there's a lot of well, especially Eastern philosophy, I think Buddhism, I think maybe even Hinduism. I'm not sure. I, I'm not as as familiar with Hinduism as I am Buddhism, um, where 
you know, the, the path to enlightenment is not an easy process. You don't, when do I get there? You don't know when you get there, but you continue the journey. It, again, this whole journey, and like you said, I either enjoy the process or I don't. And if I don't enjoy it, I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. I think that's a 100% valid thing because when when you are so focused on the progress or the perfection, the progress or the outcome, I like your whole process, progress, perfection, you know, kind of construct. Perfection being the goal, the complete in my mind. Mm-hmm. Although I do like that it's, you know, three and it's P's <laughs> for whatever reason. Um, but as you kind of think about life, you know, and I'm a little older now and sort of thinking about kind of the latter half of my existence, um, enjoying the journey really, although it sounds woo woo and meta meta and all that sort of stuff, really is about this process. What process are you mm-hmm. using? in your life to get better? What process in your business? How can you build a process that you hope is repeatable enough to make the progress so that you reach the goal or the goal being the perfection or the end game, right? And knowing that you have no control of the outcome, you only have control of your effort and the process in which you do it. That's pretty powerful. That's pretty powerful. And, 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 you know what? I'm going to be the first to say five years ago, I had heard about, you know, I'd heard the quote, like it's about the journey, not the destination. As much as I had been stuffed with that, you know, saying, I never internalized it. Never, ever until I started training judo. And then after a while, it started to sink in what it really means. And it really means is that if you don't enjoy what you're doing at all, if it completely sucks, then you need to take a step back and see, where am I really going with this? Um, is this really, if I were to die tomorrow and this whole thing had met a premature end, uh, and I think this goes back to like the Steve Jobs uh, talk about, oh, like every day I wake up and I look in the mirror and see, is today the, the how I would like to live the last day of my life? Mm-hmm. I think that's a little extreme, uh, personally. Um, yeah. But the, but the, 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 the germ of truth, as I like to call it, in that story is that, yeah, you need to be doing stuff that gives you some form of happiness day to day so that even if you don't reach the goal, the process was not uh, distasteful to you. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of understand Steve, that Steve Jobs quote a little bit more. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I, I talk about my late wife a lot. You know, she passed away three and a half years ago from leukemia and Sorry. you know at the age of 36 right so never she never thought her last years on the planet would be at 36 mm-hmm. and that 15 her 15 month process with um mm-hmm. battling cancer and me being her primary caregiver and trying to run the business i now run by myself um i got pretty wrapped up in the negativity and the goal and the perfection and all that sort of stuff. And now, you know, I, it sounds a little weird, but I, when I do wake up, I'm like, wow, another day. Okay, good. I got another day. You know, hopefully mm-hmm. I spend this day well. And sometimes I don't make yep. it. Right? Sometimes I don't spend the day well. I get wrapped up in someone that pisses me off or, uh, you know, this isn't closing, that isn't closing, this 
he didn't get the deal. Oh, I wish I had this. I wish I had that. And then I got to kind of stop myself. And I stopped myself because like everything that from now on, you know, since she passed on has, you know, you got to think of it as a gift. And then how am I going to use that to make the world better? And again, that sounds meta meta, but hmm. that's the journey, right? Hmm. That's how do you enjoy the process of your life so that mm -hmm. every day is a good day, or at least I always like to say I didn't waste today. Mm. Yeah. So I really, that's powerful, man. Yeah. Well, I, you know, again, you know, I, I really appreciate your time coming on the podcast. It was really fascinating to understand and hear how you teach people that aren't technical, at least some technical knowledge so that they can, you know, <laughs> make good decisions. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's important. It's really important. So thanks for that. Good luck on the judo mat. Maybe one day we'll get together and we'll see if jujitsu and judo. <laughs> Although I'm, I'm a little bigger than you, so I, I have, I have an advantage, um, but uh, thanks again. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, that, yeah. Thank, thanks again for your time and uh, stay thank safe. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jerry. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur, and frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA, and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better.